Hello, people of Earth. Welcome to episode one of OathCast. My name is Brennan, your humble host. My online handle is OathTobar, hence the name OathCast. And this is going to be a really fun time, guys. Episode one of a podcast I've been wanting to do for a long time. And uh, just to give you guys a quick little introduction of who I am, in case you don't know, my name is Brennan, as I said before. I'm um, a philosophy major from Middle Tennessee State University, and along with enjoying philosophy and talking about all things of the world, uh, I like film, I like music, and most recently, I am very obsessed with jujitsu. But today, we're only going to be focusing on that first part, and maybe a little bit of television as a subgenre of movies. Now, I know there's a lot of other podcasts out there that may talk about movies, may talk about philosophy. I promise you, this is going to be very, very uh, different. Probably actually more of the same, but different in that it's my opinion. And hey, I care about what I'm going to tell you. I care about the movies I'm going to be picking out. My whole goal of stuff like this is to maybe find something that I didn't know about, maybe you didn't know about, convince it, convince you how good it is, and then you check it out and you love it yourself. So let's get to it. Well, first we get a word from our sponsors. There are no sponsors. So now we can get to it. Um, I want to talk to you guys about two really great pieces of content that have come across me in the last couple of weeks. Um, We're going to start with a movie called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Wow, guys, that sounds pretty risque. Yeah, and the movie is very risque. So just to give you guys some backstory, um, years ago, eight or so years ago, back when Netflix had four times as much content as they do now, I went down a rabbit hole of finding artsy films, people's first films, Nolan's first film following they had on there for a while, um, Pi, Darren Aronofsky's first film they had on there, and both of these are black and white, and they're artsy, and they were kind of film students who were very young and coming out, and I went down a rabbit hole of, of getting obsessed with that stuff and getting obsessed with uh, even more and all David Lynch and Jodorowsky and um, Richard Stanley and just tons, tons of um, strange or or weird movies that sort of came out a a bit ago that I had just like never heard of growing up. Um, I feel like those aren't distributed in the same way that movies kind of are now, but um, you know, these things, they, they come and go into your life. And what if you guys have ever heard of um, Criterion Collection, you've probably seen them at Barnes & Noble. They're a distributor that get you know these nice old movies. They have a couple of Lynch movies, and they have all sorts of foreign movies, things that win Palm d'Ors, and things that are in the National Archives by the government, and you know things that sort of transcend what it means to be film at times um they're a great little company or i wouldn't say little they've got tons and tons of films and what they've kind of been doing is they take these old films and they restore them beautifully and they sell them on blu-ray and they're kind of pricey but they tend to be worth it because they also get some bonus content on there that's not just some silly director's commentary or deleted scenes while they do have some of that they have very thoughtful pieces done they have things that may have not been offered before so like uh, i think on my mulholland drive blu-ray um which i don't have up here but i would have to 
just just to double check, but they have like um, um, first off, if you're familiar with any David Lynch movies, he there's no chapter selection, there's no commentary. If you buy a DVD from his website, you plug it in and it's like playing a VHS. You know, it just starts and then it stops and that's the end of it. There's no menu. Um, but with this one, they they have like some commentary and they have some some stills and some sort of behind the scenes things. So it's like it's like premium content for these sort of artsy movies that you may not hear about. And I love them. Uh, they pick out great movies. They have Fellini movies and they have um, Sarkovsky movies. You know, and uh, growing up, it's not like I had people coming to me like, "Hey, do you know about Italian cinema? Hey, do you know about Russian cinema?" It's all sort of like. The Dark Knight came out when I was in high school and everybody was in a frenzy about that. It wasn't until later on when I was in college and specifically when I started getting into philosophy. I was even in a philosophy of film class and I was shown all of this, these Asian movies and these Italian movies I never even heard of and they were absolutely mind-blowing. They're 40 years old and nobody talks about them because they didn't make a billion dollars. And, you know, let's face it, everything's about making a billion dollars these days. So... I I buy a couple of them every year. I subscribe to their newsletter. And a couple of weeks ago, I got one of their newsletters. And they're like, hey, come out in July. We're, we're putting out Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And I read that and I was like, huh. Sounds like almost like a snuff film or some sort of artsy erotica film. And it kind of is the latter, but it's also kind of not. So I clicked on it and I checked it out. And it turned out it was Steven Soderbergh's first film. Um, now, if you guys know Steven Soderbergh, or if you don't, I'll familiarize you real quick. He did uh, Aaron Brockovich, which I'm staring at my VHS copy right now. I actually really enjoyed that movie. But he's better known for doing the Oceans movies. Uh, Oceans 8, 9, 10, 11. I actually haven't seen any of them, and there's a new one coming out. Uh, I don't know. But he's done that whole series, and he's done a couple of other movies you can check out, but these are his most well-known movies. Uh, but this was his first movie. I was like, oh, that's really cool because I know who he is. And I thought Aaron, I still think Aaron Brockovich is a really well-made movie. Um, even though it's like, I guess, sort of a strange movie because it's Julia Roberts is like some like a halfway slutty, almost lawyer. Um, still good shit. Um, but it's his first movie and he made it when he was 26. And I read that and I was like, oh, shit, I'm 26. And, you know, I like movies and... I want to make some movies and I'm in the middle of writing screenplays and it's like, oh man, what the hell am I doing? Like this guy was 26 and he, he made this movie and then just to sort of make things hurt even more, he apparently wrote it on a legal pad over the course of eight days on a cross-country trip. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because I've got a screenplay, I've got like four screenplays I've been looking at for a year and just slowly piece by piece moving at a tool pace and... I understand that if you can sort of zoom out, you know, eventually things get get made when they need to be made, and it's there's patience and time, and everybody works on a different scale. But um, in that in that microsecond, you're just sort of like, oh, I'm just wasting so much fucking time. So I liked that, you know, you got me. Um, not to mention it has James Spader in it. You guys should know who James Spader is. He was Ultron, and he was Robert California in The Office, and he was on Seinfeld for a couple of episodes, and he did some other TV shows that I never really caught. I think he was on Boston Legal. He was the head guy on Boston Legal. Never watched it. Just know that. I don't know why. Probably because I used to watch Frasier, and there were commercials for Boston Legal. So, 
I watched the trailer, which was just a clip, and it was really bizarre. It was like this house, and it felt hot outside, and James Spader is outside of the front door of the house, sort of curled up, and it looked like he had just been attacked. And Peter Gallagher, uh, who plays a character named John Mulaney, is in there, and he plugs in this VHS, and he's watching this girl on a VHS talk about um, if she's ever had an orgasm. And I was just like, what the fuck is this movie? Um, so I was kind of worried because I felt like, oh, you know, you see something like that and it's like, okay, I got to know everything about it. And it's not coming out until July. So I can either buy it on iTunes or I can do this and that. And I was like, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. Wait until July. Not read about it on Wikipedia. Not do any more research. I don't want to know anything about it. I, this is the weirdest thing I've seen in quite a while. So I was just like, I'm going to wait until July and then I'm going to get it. And this is going to be great. Um, like three days later, I could not get this out of my head. And I, I ended up just like renting it or I think I bought it. It may still be in my iTunes library. So I bought it. I watched it. It blew my fucking mind. It was, it, it was like going back when I was first exposed to following and pie and you sort of hear, you, you know, you see the dark Knight, or you see the, these, these Batman films or inception and you're like, that's Nolan. But if you see Nolan's first film, it's a whole nother animal. It's, it's a experimental, you know, if you think Memento's experimental followings experimental, I'll tell you what, or Darren Aronofsky's pie. I mean, Requiem for a dream is very disturbing, but I mean, on some level, Pi is even weirder. There's a conspiracy element to to Pi, and there's like numerology and religion and psychosis and drugs and paranoia and like it brought me back to that. Even though it doesn't really touch on any of those things, what's weird is it's such a human movie, and it's a very small scale. It takes place in Louisiana. There's James Spader who plays Graham. There's Andy McDowell, plays Anne, Anne Bishop Mullaney. Peter Gallagher, who I mentioned before, plays John Mullaney, who's um, Anne Bishop's husband. And uh, Laura San Giacomo, sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, uh, she plays Cynthia Bishop. So from now on, I'll refer to them by their character names, um, which is more important for what we're talking about. So um, Anne and Cynthia are sisters. Um, Anne and John are husband and wife, and Graham is John's old college buddy. Um, and just just to keep this in mind, James Spader is Graham. He's our sort of main character. Now, sex lies and videotape sounds sort of weird and neurotic, and I said before it was. And that's sort of what I was expecting is like, well, this is going to be one of those, you know, late 80s, early 90s movies where there was, you know... <laughs> I don't even know how to say it, but there's like a weird, like, <laughs> sexualness or gratuitousness to some of these movies that came out, or even now, there sort of is, like, um, like Blue is the Warmest co Color or Nymphomaniac, you know, you have these things that are like slightly gratuitous or slightly provoking, and that's what I was expecting. And surprisingly enough, it wasn't. It was nothing like that at all. There wasn't anything, I would say, sexy about it. And Alan Moore talks about this because he's he wrote these 
Uh, if you know who Alan Moore is, uh, he did The Watchmen and V for Vendetta. He's a comic book writer. He did one of my all-time favorite comics, The Saga of the Swamp Thing. And he's had a long history of writing comics. And he didn't just write superheroes. I mean, or weird people like, you know, V or, you know, he did some Superman stuff. But he wrote some, like, some weird erotica stuff. And I remember thinking about that, like, oh, you know, aren't you just making pornography? And I remember reading something where he said, there's a, there's a borderline between trying to maturely talk about the subject and then trying to get somebody off. So there is a difference between, you know, um, I, I, think, I think what you, you would kind of poorly label erotica because maybe that sort of actually says, oh, that's like that section of the bookstore that you kind of don't want to go down. A very strange section of things, like lots of shirtless men with horses and and <laughs> shit like that. But it's sort of it's sort of leaning on trying to maturely talk about things that you that you wouldn't normally do, and then you know you don't want to actually be turning anybody on. Now I thought this movie would be attempting that, like attempting to turn you on, and it's not. Again, this is a very human movie each of our four characters represents a spectrum of of you know what i can only ascribe as people's relation to sex of this spectrum of uh, sex and relationships you have one person graham who sort of has a fetish that is almost shied away from but he's still very honest about because he has some sort of moral code but there's an extremity to it on some level you have Anne, who is totally shy from it. She's not very experienced in it. She's not very interested in it. And, you know, she sort of doesn't have a problem talking about it. But also, she literally says in the beginning, there's a scene where she's talking to her psychiatrist, and she's just like, well, I just don't see the point in it. I don't see the point in masturbation, and I don't see the point in sex itself. Then you have her husband, John, who's he's crazy. He's having an affair with her sister. Like, this dude is like filled to the brim of, I mean, he's dropping out of his high-level lawyer job so that he can go get off. And then you have Cynthia, who's bordering on a couple of these. Um, she also has a high sex drive. She's she's not ashamed of it, but she is ashamed of who she's picking as her partner on, on some level. But then there, it's also tied in of like, you know, the, the wrongness of that is something that she enjoys, you know, the, the, the badness of it, you know, the taboo-ness of it. They both, they both like. So there's this spectrum of, of, of how, you know, perhaps, you know, you can get a group of people together and you can find all of them. This person's highly interested in it. This person's not interested in it. This person's interested in very weird and specific things. And the director, Steven Soderbergh, even said, like, all four of these people, to him, feel like parts of his life where he was at when he was doing something that matched up with what Graham was doing or John was doing or Anne or Cynthia. And it's really interesting in how all of these things played out because it is about something that we would say is maybe taboo. We don't really want to talk about sex all that much. You know, maybe we do because we think it's cool. Maybe we don't because it makes us uncomfortable and nobody's ever talked to us about it before. But it's hard to have an honest conversation about these things. So I feel like this movie was an honest conversation 
about these things. So I don't want to give too much away. Um, I don't want to I don't want to spoil or alert anything, which um, in future things I may um, not be as weary of. But for this one, um, I would rather just try and and pull you in and maybe you'll go see it on your own um, because it's very interesting. Uh, and I, it's not something that I would want to give away because, you know, it, it's like I don't want to give away the, the ending to, a, you know, a good story or, or a good conversation if it's not totally integral to me reviewing it because I'm not really trying to review it. I just want to expose you to something. And maybe if you do go out and check it out, you'll think about it in a broader way, which is where the, this bullshit philosophy degree <laughs> comes into play. So, so Anne not interested in sex, her husband, John, very interested in having an affair with Anne's sister, Cynthia and his friend is coming into town, Graham. He hasn't seen Graham since college. Now they're probably close to 10 years past college. John is a high lawyer, making tons of money. Anne's a stay-at-home lady, stay-at-home wife. So Graham comes into town, and he doesn't have a lot of belongings. But right off the bat, you can tell he's a very honest person. He has a very high sort of moral authority with himself. Um, and John doesn't. He's pretty much the exact opposite of John. Um, Graham doesn't have a lot of belongings, not really interested in it. He just has a few things that he cares about, which end up being his collection of videotapes, which we can get to. And John has a big house, and a nice car, and he's got a pretty wife, and he's got a good job, but he's also a piece of shit and a liar. There's even a scene where pretty early on in the first act after Graham and Anne meet, um, you know, he comes into town, he has dinner at John's place, and then him and Anne decide to go sort of get coffee the next day. And he's just talking about her husband right in front of her. Like, he's a liar. He's not a good person because he's a liar. And it's not that he knows anything of what John's doing behind the scenes. He just knows him for who he is. And he's the exact opposite. And then Anne's like, yeah, okay. I see where you're coming from. They sort of have this conversation, and Graham just sort of lets it be known, like, "Oh, I'm, I'm impotent. Yeah, I can't get an erection in front of people, in front of women, in front of anybody. Uh, it's weird. <laughs> I wasn't. I didn't even know what to think. I was just like, like 15 or 20 minutes into this movie, and it's like, what the fuck is going on here? I just don't. I don't get what any of this is. Like, and then you would think like. I felt like if, if somebody told me that, I'd just be like, "What the f like? Why the hell are you telling me this? What does it have to do with anything?" And it, it does it does have to do with their conversation. They are talking about sort of things like that, and it's almost a mirror of a couple of scenes earlier where she's talking to her psychiatrist, and she's just like, she's open to having the discussion about about it, but she's also disinterested in doing the thing itself. So they're having this conversation about it, and she's letting it be known, like she's not very interested in it and he actually can't really engage in it so things go on the um cynthia and john continue their their cheatingness and it sort of starts getting to cynthia um she's not enjoying it as much and and ends up uh, 
since, since Graham doesn't really have anything going for him, John and Anne decide, like, you know, they help him find a house and help him get set up. And I think he gets a job in the town. And it's it, there's just this very bizarre scene. Again, I mean, the movie, all, all of it is, the, is these very bizarre setups. But, but they all have like a very good purpose and n- nothing of it is trying, is trying to, you know, it's not trying to make you uncomfortable. It's just trying to have a conversation with you that you probably wouldn't normally have. So there's this scene where James Spader, Graham, sitting, <laughs> sitting in his living room and there's like a shitty couch and a shitty chair and there's just this desk with this box of tapes and this little TV, and he's sitting there, draped in in a bed sheet, and he's like almost sweating, and he's just watching, and there's just this girl talking about her sexual experiences on the TV, and Anna comes and knocks on the door, and he just sort of is like, doesn't say anything, and just gets up and casually turns it off, and it's just like it's open, and walks around the corner and starts just casually getting dressed like he had just woken up, and she's doesn't think any differently what's going on and he's like hey well can i make you some tea and she's like sure okay and and she's like what are all these tapes and he's like oh you know there's a private matter and she's like what's on them and he's like uh i he just flat out says i tape women uh, that i have uh, and i have conversations with them i interview them She's just like, what do you interview them about? And he's just like, their sexual experiences. And she's just like, that's really fucking weird and bolts. And then that starts to create a rift between them. But it's like, you know, this is an this is an honest guy. This is sort of drilling in two things. One, he's a pretty strange dude. Two, he's a very honest dude. She goes back. She doesn't know what to say or anything like that. She's talking to her, Cynthia. She doesn't want to tell her husband. So she tells Cynthia, her sister. Now, we know Cynthia is very sort of like, let's say, primal or really horny. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, her character. And she... Uh, and tells Cynthia, what happened? She's like, well, did you watch any of the tapes? No, I didn't watch anything. Did you? Did you let him tape you? No, I didn't. You know, I didn't have this conversation with him about this. But it gets to Cynthia, and she starts thinking, "Man, what is this about?" And she goes over to his place, and he just sort of ans- He's, you know, it's a weird thing. Every time somebody knocks on his door, he's just like, "Hey, it's open. Come on in." And she comes in. He's just like. <laughs> Do I know you? You know, never met you before. Oh, I'm I'm Anne's sister. They get to talking, and she's just like, she told me about the tapes. Do Do you want to interview me? And he's like, okay, why not? So then there's you know this quote unquote interview, and they talk, and she gets like steamy and she starts getting undressed and then eventually there's um you know it doesn't really show anything nothing like too too there's nothing gratuitous that happens like it's just sort of brushed over like it's it's all implied like they're having this conversation and then she just like wants to get undressed and like he can't do anything and he's just sort of filming and then it ends and she's like all riled up and she goes over and finds john and they have like this um 
this like crazy sort of um, like your '80s sex scene, like <laughs> like what the room was going for. <laughs> it's like that, except it's it's well done and it's not like weird or anything. It's just to show like yeah, she was really worked up about all of this and now she wants to let it off. So then they're in this post post coital thing, her and John, and she tells him about it. And um, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm not getting this um, mixed up, sorry. You know, uh, I'm sorry. I think I um, this is. I think I totally. Um, sorry. Um, Ooh, sorry for that pause. I should cut that out, but I'm not. I, um, sorry, I just have this page pulled up, and I just wanted to make sure that I was giving you some of these details in the correct order. So he, I think he's like weirded out by it, but but he's more. But um, John is sort of pissed off that Cynthia went and did this, and then later on, it's known like Cynthia lets it be known to Anne that she went and did it, and then pieces start to sort of come together and she sort of figures out that John and Cynthia are having a relationship and she eventually goes to Graham and she's like, I want to make a tape. I want you to tape me. I want you to talk about me. Um, now, I don't want to give any more of it away because then you sort of get into the third act of things where all of everything comes to a head. The lying, the honesty that does become a problem, the, um, the all, all of the intertwining relationships of how inter everybody's interacting, these all culminate in the head in, in the third act in like in just very interesting ways. And the thing that I kind of took away and thought about it was, and and what what is you know the goal of I believe um, Soderbergh's film is these things complicate our relationships so much even though we don't even want to talk about them a lot of the time you know it, you've got you've got three people that don't want to have an honest um, conversation or, or particularly engage in an honest way um, it's all extremely selfish I mean the only character who's totally honest totally innocent um, is Anne I mean, but even but even she, you know, ha has something that she needs to work out because um, there has to be, th and that's the thing that some of them come to realize in the end is like, okay, well, what I'm doing is actually selfish, and I will have to give something up. Um, for some people, this works out well. For other people, it doesn't work out so well. But the whole the whole goal of this, I f I feel, is just that relationships and sex create so much weird conflict that we're probably even unaware of. And I think this is just on a heightened level. Not everybody's in some very strange foursome with estranged people and sisters and brothers or anything like that. But um, even on a minimal scale, I think that is entirely applicable. I mean, Graham's, you know, be it a strange dude, he's a very honest person, but even that honesty has some sort of self-centeredness in it. And John is, you know, he's obviously just a piece of shit lawyer. 
Um, not all lawyers are pieces of shit, but this he is a lawyer. He is a piece of shit, and he's a liar. Um, things may not work out so well for him, but you guys can watch the movie and figure that part out. Oh, thank you, water. So, man, it's a crazy film. I'm totally gonna be buying it in July. It comes out in like a month. But it's a, <laughs> it, it's it. Man, it's so weird to even sort of think about. Like I'm still digesting this, you know, two weeks later, and I'm I plan on watching it again and trying to keep um, digesting it because on a film level, on a screenplay level, on a character-driven level, you know, if you take out the the sort of moral thing. It's really well done. The character arcs are brilliant. The setting's brilliant. The cinematography, the, the, the filming, how everything is done. For somebody's first film at 26 years old, dude, there's no way. I do not think I can make a movie this good right now. Like, I, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty unreal. Um, especially far as, as far as, you know, premiere films go, um, filmmaking wise, the, uh, it's a bit. It's a bit better. I mean, it's it's better than you know these Nolan films or these Aronofsky films. Not to not to hate on them or not that they're shit or anything like that, but this thing feels more complete. Um, it feels like a more complete and more more of an idea that many people can relate to, despite it being so artsy and so sort of taboo. Um, well, I highly recommend it, you guys. I mean, he made this when he was twenty six. It, it cost him, what the fuck did it cost him to make? 1.2 million, good on him for getting that, getting that, uh, getting all that money. Outlaw Productions, distributed by Miramax. Came out in 89. Um, dude, it premiered at the 89 Cannes Film Festival, and it ended up winning. He wasn't even, it didn't even mean to enter it. It was actually by accident. I believe the story was that this one film dropped out, and the um, the uh, production company decided to throw his in, so that they could fill it with something, and it ended up winning the Palme d'Or, which is like the highest achievement you can ach- you can get there. It's it's crazy. And listen to this, guys: the Library of Congress's National Film Registry deemed it culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant in two thousand six which means it's going to forever be preserved and probably some mountain headed away with with Area 51 artifacts. It's crazy good. I'm amazed it took me 26 years to even find this movie. I've never heard of it before. Uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest Soderbergh fan. I've never seen these ocean films. I've never just browsed his Wikipedia page or anything. But, like, look, guys, this is twofold. Criterion Films... It's just constantly killing it. Constantly killing it. And there's only something new around the corner. If you think you've explored so many things, you know, maybe your tastes start to get dull or bored or the fact that there's so many things out there. This just randomly came across my my email. I wasn't looking for anything weird. I, I think even at the time I was just sort of burnt out on so many other things. I wasn't, I didn't even know what to watch. And it just came across, and three days later, after obsessing over this, I get it, I watch it, my mind is still blown. Uh, I can't I can't recommend it enough. And James Spader's performance is unreal. Un- 
unreal, man. I love Robert California. He's a great guy. So, again, Sex, Lies, and Videotape comes out in July on Criterion. I think you can pick it up on digital stuff and download it. However you guys want to do it, it's up to you. Highly recommend it. Let's move on, though. Let's move on to something that I heard about for a while. I was extremely, extremely skeptical of. How many more... How many more platform companies are going to come around, man? We've got Netflix. I'm not big on Hulu. I pay for Prime just for the shipping. I don't watch any of the videos. And then YouTube decides to come along with YouTube Red. And you know what? I have an ad blocker, so I don't care about your ads. I'm never playing anything mobile that I feel passionate enough that I need to pay $10 so that I can minimize it and do other things. Uh, And I'm not sure. I think they had a show... They canceled PewDiePie's show. I mean, I like Felix. I don't think he did any of any anything wrong there to have anything canceled. And I'm, I'm just skeptical of Google in the first place. And I think they had like a Jake Paul show or movie or something on there or Logan Paul. What of what of those guys who's the weirdest weird vlogger character? Um, I don't. I think that was canceled as well. Probably rightly so. But but redoing the Karate Kid. I didn't understand it. I thought it was like uh, short or I thought it was like, um, what was it? College films or something like that. Those people used to make those short movies in the like mid 2000 college humor. I thought it was like one of those, like a five minute thing. I never checked it out. I was like, whatever, dude, we're rebooting everything. You're going to do more karate kid shit. Now you're just going to slap on Cobra Kai. I didn't pay it any mind. And then I just kept hearing about it. Then I discovered it was actually a TV show that they were doing. I heard about it from some UFC fighters who were talking about it. I think some people mentioned it on Rogan's podcast. And finally, my buddy came in and was like, hey, man, have you seen this yet? Actually, I had a bunch of people message me. If anybody out here is listening and you mentioned the show to me, first off, thank you. Second off, Whoa. Cobra Kai is awesome. I never thought I I never thought YouTube could make something that stellar. Let me pull this. Let me pull this up, man. Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai was is, is awesome. So, in case you guys haven't seen it, um, it's sort of like a reboot of the Karate Kid films, and Ralph Macchio reprises his role as Daniel. William Zabka reprises his role as Johnny Lawrence. Um, and I, I remembered I remembered when I was watching the first episode that there was something I watched like two or three years ago. There's like a viral video where this guy talked about how Daniel was actually the bully. And before I even watched the video, uh, I mean, I don't even remember the last time I watched Karate Kid, but I started having a flashback to some of those scenes where I was like... Oh, yeah, I think he does kind of, like, instigate some things, and it was kind of a jerk, but, I mean, you know, this would probably just be, like, a funny video. No, it was actually, like, a solid five-minute video, and by the end of it, I was just like, the screen, <laughs> the screenplay for this is a moron, because Daniel is actually a bully. Um, I'll see if I can put a link in the bio, or I'm sure if you guys just Google um, Karate Kid was a bully or something like that on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's like this perspective of this new kid comes in town and like there's the scenes on the beach where he sucker punches him or he uh, like there's like a in, in, in the movie, there's like a couple months gap where Daniel uh, Daniel and Johnny are not interacting at all. And then like the school dance, Daniel just dumps a bunch of water on him. Uh, <laughs> and then just he's like picking fights with them and then they come into his dojo and at the Cobra Kai dojo they're like don't touch this guy until the karate tournament and then until the karate tournament Daniel's harassing all the Cobra Kai people it's like fucking it's hysterical this video that, that points it out so this show it seems like somebody at Google or wherever somebody who's friends with somebody at Google was just like oh yeah, this is totally correct. Let's just make a show on this. Like, let's just do what everybody else is doing. Star Wars, this one takes place 30 years after this. Ghostbusters sort of takes place after this. You know, we're just going to do this. This one, you know, Curdy came out 34 years ago. Let's find out where everybody is now. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Johnny Lawrence is like this drunk, pathetic dropout dad who like is just a handyman who loses his job because he freaks out. He doesn't even freak out. He just calls somebody a bitch. And then he's like driving by. And of course, the number one car salesman in the area is Daniel, <laughs> Daniel LaRusso, who's like kicking prices and slashing down your car payments and everything like that. It's, it's the silliest thing, but it's like, of course, like this is like, this is actually how, how this would turn out to be. And I, man, I loved it. Man, I, I really like, I can't believe how well a lot of the uh, the character arcs are. I mean, this isn't like a flawless show, guys. There's some weird quirks, which, uh, which I, I may get to. But I mean, the Daniel arc, the Johnny arc, and then their like apprentice arcs are really great. Um, some of the secondary people I could have done without, or you could have rewritten them, or you could have consolidated a couple of people. But I mean, you know, Daniel is the is the he he's the number one sort of guy in town. He's making all these he's got all these connections, and he has, he's at the country club, and he's got a hot wife, and he's got a good looking kid, and then he's got another kid who I could have done without the, the chubby fat kid who is supposed to be like comic relief of some sort that all felt very forced and uh, i don't even want to talk about it later i want to talk about it right now his son's character is it's worthless um he doesn't really add anything besides some commentary of like there's a lot of commentary of young kids are just on their phone and and you know I mean, and these are kids who are 10 years plus younger than i am and i don't have as much of a problem with teenagers as, as apparently this 40 year old screenwriter does but yeah i mean he the kid's lazy he says a bunch of smart ass shit uh, daniel takes his ipad away or something or his psp away which i don't think kids are still playing psp anymore that he should have had a nintendo uh nintendo wii u nintendo switch sorry and daniel takes it away and he's just like alexa order order another one it's like what Ew, that seems out of place compared to everything else that goes on like that just seemed a little bit much and that kid is no fucking arc. The kid literally does nothing. He's in the same place at the beginning of the show that he is at the end, 
Whereas you can't say that for pretty much anybody else. So I just want to get that out of the way because that was one thing that really bugged me. But, you know, Johnny's got a good look good looking kid, you know, good looking daughter, big house, all this cool stuff. Everything's worked out really well for him. And there is a, there is parts where he has to sort of come to terms with maybe he was a bully. Not not in a big way. If I feel like maybe they're going to be saving that for the second season, uh, which they've teased and I don't know if they're if that's confirmed. I'm sure that's confirmed. This everybody's telling me about this show and it seems to have gone over really well. Um, but they're sort of setting him up for that of like, you know, he's, he's sort of revisiting his past in Miyagi, um, th- throughout like the, the first three quarters of the show, he has these flash flashbacks to where one part of his house, he had turned into a dojo and it, it, you come to find out that it's just been filled with all this crap that he's built up all the years. And then in one episode, he's just like, yeah, I'm going to clean all this out. And then he's in his gi and they're practicing moves and stuff. And he's like trying to get his daughter to come in and his his daughter, like when she was younger, practiced karate and stuff with him. And that's all that's all really interesting as an arc of, you know, here's this guy. They're both Johnny and Daniel. They're both revisiting their their past of, of martial arts in very different ways. And I liked how they did Daniels, you know, in, in the beginning of this, it's not even something he thinks about. It's actually something he sort of uses as exploitation for his car business and for his, um, for his sort of character of who he is around town. Um, and then by the end of it, it's something that he's really taken back to heart. You know, he's emptied out this part of his house. He's brought in um, a, a young kid who sort of may need some direction in his life, who turns out to be Johnny's son, who was sort of trying to manipulate the situations and eventually doesn't want to. But, you know, he's coming back to what martial arts meant to him. Um, and despite all of the bully stuff that's funny in, in the YouTube video and that is referenced in, in the show itself, um, by the end of it, you know, his student loses where Daniel had won in the original one but there's this like great scene at the end of course they're gonna have a second season and spoiler alert I'm not it's not that big a deal to spoiler this you can see you can see 90% of the outcomes coming um this isn't like this isn't like a 10 out of 10 Westworld show where you're confused and you're like what the hell's gonna happen next it's all pretty well laid out but it's still very satisfying so in the end, they go to Mr. Miyagi's place, which Daniel still owns, and now he's going to open up and have all these students. And in the second season, I'm sure they're going to erupt with, you know, some massive karate tournament or something. So that's cool. Now we got Daniel out of the way because the star of the show is William Zabka reprising his role as Johnny Lawrence, who is, you know, as I said, downtrodden, deadbeat dad and he sticks he sticks with this um this rigidness of like you know you're an asshole i'm gonna let you know you're an asshole and he's still got these instincts of karate he beats some kids up who are picking on another kid and it's like a commentary i feel like some of it's commentary on the on pc culture 
um, you know, of like safe spaces and whatnot. Even at the school, when they're in the school, there's this principal lady who comes out and she's just talking about safe spaces and wanting to protect these kids. And there's like jokes about gender neutrality and things like that, which are very subtle and surprising uh, coming from Google from, you know, last year there was those Google Docs um, and all that nonsense that was going on. So that was sort of strange to think about how Google's associated with this show. And this is a guy hardened from the 80s who's like, you know, it's about making out with hot babes, drinking beer, kicking ass, like not being a nerd and all of this stuff. You know, on some level, he's really offensive to all of these kids, but it hardens kids. In the beginning, you know, uh, in the beginning of this is of his arc when he's trying to get his karate studio back and, and trying to make money and trying to get back into this, he... he he gets he gets all of these kids who were not what you would have gotten in the original Cooper Kai. You're not getting athletes or jocks or anything like that. He ends up getting all of these nerds and he sort of bullies them. And at first, these kids are sort of upset by it. And then they get, most of them get sort of battle hardened. And they're like, yeah, you're right. I'm going to do something about this. But unfortunately, he he doesn't even mean to do this, but these kids do become total jock assholes. I mean, by the very last episode, these kids suck. <laughs> the the maid the maid kid, um, <clears throat> sorry, Miguel, main kid Miguel. In the beginning, you feel sorry for him, and you know he's just a kid getting bullied, and he's got braces, and he's got a crush on uh, the hot girl or whoever at school who actually is Daniel's daughter. And you're like, yeah, this kid, you know, he's he's gonna he's gonna get tough, and, he, and then he starts kicking kids' asses at school. Stick is standing up to the bullies after they've been bullying him, and he sort of recruits his nerdy friends. They all come in, and then by the end of it, you're just like, whoa, these this kid's a jerk. He gets drunk. He like sort of hits hits the girl that he's supposed to be dating them from a misunderstanding he's a total asshole at the karate tournament he seems to just like be an asshole all around like all of them kind of do by the end of it and it's like johnny um he's like unknowingly created a, a monster of these kids which he didn't mean to i mean i don't even think his character was that aware of what he was doing he's just trying to be himself and trying to get these kids to toughen up and trying to redeem himself because he there is an episode i think it's episode eight where he he lays out that video that youtube video i referenced earlier he sort of lays something out like that in a sort of quick monologue where he's like this kid from jersey comes into town he provokes me on the beach try to like let him know what's up try to tell him like this is this is done we've squashed this he sucker punches me you know even tell him we're not going to mess with him and he's you know shitting on us at school and there's nothing i can do because you know my karate teacher doesn't want me to do anything and you get more backstory because it turns out like he there's there's a switch because you know when daniel was young in the karate kid movie he was the poor kid coming in and johnny was a rich kid living in Encino and had a nice big house. And it turns out his stepdad was an asshole to him his whole life, wasn't really there, wasn't supportive of anything like that. And then his sensei at the dojo, you know, we all know he was a total jerk to him. So 
he he's trying to not necessarily echo the violence and the negativity of his past um but he didn't really have a choice for a long time. And it's like now coming back into martial arts, coming back and trying to help these kids while still being himself. He wants to be a dad again. He wants to redeem it and build champions and build Cobra Kai back and, and bring all of this back up and get to where he should have been when he was, you know, 18 or whatever. Um, man, I love it. Man. After I finish Westworld, I may have to I may have to go back and rewatch this for sure. It's really good, you guys. Um, if you're a fan of the original Karate Kid stuff, just just the first one. I think the second one's pretty okay. I haven't seen it in a long time. I think the second one's where he actually went to Japan and had to battle some people who were contractors stealing people's land. And then wasn't the third one with um, with what's her name? <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. I want to find out what the third one was there, because there was um, Karate Kid Part Three. Um, I don't remember that one. Two is okay. So there's the Karate Kid, the Karate Kid Part Two, and Part Three. I don't remember which one is Part Two and which one's Part Three. So one of those I don't think I saw. The next Karate Kid in '94. Yeah, 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 with Hillary Swank. <laughs> Can you guys imagine? First off, in Cobra Kai, one of the executive producers is Will Smith. So I swear to God, if, if fucking if Will's if Jaden Smith is in the second season, I'm gonna lose my shit, and I'm only gonna be happy about it if Hillary Swank reprises her role and comes back to do something. But man, it's a it's great. It's fun. It's hilarious. I think there's like good commentary on how older people view younger people and vice versa and sort of what the culture coming up is of, you know, your phones and your technology and how interconnected everybody is and how things go viral. I mean, like girls get bullied and they talk about how it's viral. And what I thought was really interesting was when one girl got bullied and her friend uh, Daniel's daughter is trying to tell her, you know, these things get popular and people will forget about it in two days because something new will be viral. And what, what really hit me, I mean, I think this is actually the best line of the show now that I'm saying it out loud. This girl who got bullied says, for them, they last two days. For me, it's going to last my whole life. And I thought that was actually a very profound statement. And remember, this is all connected to Google. This is all connected to YouTube. The, you know, the virality, if that's the right word, you know, how, how viral things get, the impact that that can have on um, kids and people, you know, ranging from Star Wars kid to humongous and the social justice warriors. And then you have your Jordan Petersons and, you know, how things get manipulated, how they get spread around, how the mis there's misinformation and there's bullying attached to it. That's all, it's all really poignant in that, in that one sentence that she says, man. I mean, for these kids, yeah, they'll forget it in two days. She's going to remember that her whole life. Like, that's going to stick with her. Fortunately, her character, you know, becomes a, <clears throat> a real karate star and Fortunately, she also does not become one of the asshole Cobra Kai kids, but she is in Cobra Kai, and 
Look, I can't recommend the show enough, you guys. We're at 51 minutes. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Watch Cobra Kai. Watch Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And uh, one other thing I have here written down that I wanted to talk about is um, a YouTube channel and a website, a group of people called Red Letter Media. If you guys have not ever heard of Red Letter Media, I found out about them years ago when they first put up um, a Star Wars prequel review, which totally changed my life, changed my opinion on the Star Wars prequels. Um, I don't want to get too much into it, but they're really great content creators. I'm not affiliated with them anyway. I don't know them in any way. I wish I did because I could learn. I feel like I can learn a lot. They make great reviews. They have a sh um, different shows that they do. They have one called Half in the Bag where they talk about new movies that are coming out. They have one called Review where like once a month they pick an old movie that we may have forgotten about or, or something that may become sort of off the wall that you've never heard of. Sort of like what I did with Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And they talk about it. And they break it down and um, my favorite one is Best of the Worst, where they all sit down and they pick bad VHSs to watch. It's so hysterical. They do those pretty often. The newest one, if you go, if you've never heard of Red Letter Media and you go search Best of the Worst, find the newest one that they've uploaded. Today is uh, Tuesday, June 5th. So find the closest one to that date. Um, uh, you know what? I'll even find the episode right now for you guys. I'll be that nice because I bet it'll <clears throat> pull up. They, man, it's so hilarious and the content is so good. They, a lot of it, it goes up to like an hour long or so. I mean, there, there are days, there's been months where I don't watch anything on Netflix. I don't watch anything else. I will binge best of the worst and rewatch all of these things because they're so great. Um, Best of the Worst, Kill Squad, Ryan's Babe, and Demon Warp. Uh, I mean, any of these. If you just go and you find the playlist for Red Letter Media, and, and like all of these are so gold. Their videos are great. Their reviews are great. Um, I just really enjoy them, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. Uh, if you're a fan of movies, I definitely think that this is a channel that you should check out. Uh, even if you're a casual fan, I think that Best of the Worst in and of itself is just hilarious for all sorts of reasons. And I mean, these, these go from 40 minutes to over an hour long. And I feel like this content is better than so much shit that's put out there these days, especially like some of this trash that I see on Prime or Netflix or Hulu. Not that it all is, but there's just some shit on there. I've wasted my time even checking out when I could have been rewatching this, honestly, even for the fifth time, these things are, these episodes can be so much funnier than, um, some of the, some of the bizarre stuff I don't even want to really get into here. Um, so Wow, um, we're hitting past 54 minutes. Guys, uh, I've been meaning to do this for a long time. I've actually been really self-conscious about doing this for a long time. I've attempted this multiple times. I have, I have you know, a dozen voice memos where I would sit in my car and while I'm driving around for work, try and record something. I get 10, 15 minutes into these things. And I turn it off just because I feel embarrassed or I feel frustrated or I feel like, you know, why the fuck should anybody care what I have to say? And um, you really don't, you know, if you listen to this and you like what I have to say, that's cool. I really just hope that you guys may maybe check something out or maybe think about something in a different way than you have it before. That's all I really want to take away from this. And I actually had a really good time doing this. 
not all of these in the future will be solely me. Um, I just don't have any guests around me. I don't really live near too many people to talk to about some of these things. And we're not always going to be talking about movies. Um, I haven't even looked at how I can upload this on iTunes, but I think the, the category will probably be something along philosophy, um, just because I think that that can tie into everything. I think my approach to anything that I want to talk about will just naturally come from that sort of perspective. I tend to babble on about things. I tend to be a little bit too deep about things and overthink things and be very critical of things and pick them apart. Um, I just like the puzzle in doing that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we'll be talking about movies. We'll be talking about music. We'll be talking about books. Um, maybe one day we'll talk about jujitsu if anybody's interested enough besides me because I'm obsessed with it. I plan on having interviews with people, fun conversations. You know, this to me is a mix of what Red Letter Media is, what I hear Kevin Smith do, what I hear Paul Shear do with How Did This Get Made, and especially one of my two biggest influences are um, the Joe Rogan Experience and Tell Em Steve Dave. Anybody who knows me, I rave and rant about their shows all the time. This has been a long time coming for me personally, and um, I really hope somebody listens to this all the way um well i can't believe we're actually closing in on an hour <clears throat> i feel i feel pretty weird about this um and then just one more thing um while we will be talking about a lot of the stuff i mentioned um i have been planning some uh, big projects in the future so um specifically for movie stuff if you guys want to go ahead and start doing your homework i'm planning on doing uh episodes entirely dedicated to um some of my favorite people in film uh, alejandro jodorowsky is my number one richard stanley ryan Tricarton, and um before the remake of Suspiria comes out. I would really love to put something together about Dario Argento and uh, Giallo films, which is um, sort of a subgenre of Italian horror movies from the 70s. Um, it's just like a weird niche thing that uh, I've ended up really going down a rabbit hole and enjoying for so many different reasons. So those are some big projects in the future if you guys want to do your homework, if you you know want something to look forward to. Again, thank you for listening to the first episode of Ofcast. Um, don't worry about liking. Um, if you subscribe, I think that's like the best way so that you know when new episodes come out. But um, don't, don't worry about liking it. Don't worry about commenting it. If you have anything to say, any sort of feedback at all, I would love it. Audio suggestions. If you have a suggestion for me to watch something, you want to hear me talk about something, a book. Eventually, we're going to talk about Dune, which is now my favorite book of all time. And I can't wait to just do a whole episode dedicated to Dune and the future movie coming out and what I think about that in comparison to Blade Runner. So, anything you have to tell me, I'm on Instagram uh, at Oftobar. Um, if you go to oftobar.com, you can find me. Um, like my Twitter and shit there. I think my Twitter handle is um, at TikwinBB, um, which is like just a silly name. We could talk about that sometime. <laughs> we could talk about Otobar too if anybody's interested. But, you know, it's uh, not too hard to find me, not too hard to get in t contact with me. Um, I really appreciate you guys listening. And uh, these podcasts are only going to get better. There's going to be some, some music, some sounds. There's going to be lots of guests in the future. 
this is just the beginning. I fucking promise you guys that, and uh, I'm really fucking glad that you guys are listening if you made it this far. Uh, I just really appreciate it. So thank you guys very much, and go listen to some Rogan. See you later.